So last week we talked about the idea of marveling, and what I wanted to do this week was just to continue that and to continue on with the rest of Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, if you weren't with us last week or you just or you forgot what happened last week, um, Luke chapter 24 is the last chapter in the gospel that Luke has written, records for us. And so it details the resurrection of Christ, and it details Christ presenting himself to many of the disciples. Luke 24, for me, I think, is just a really well-told story. Now, it's not, I don't say that in saying that it's just a story, like it's not real. I just mean how Luke presents this is just a fun, it's a fun way to learn about how Jesus revealed himself to several of the disciples. And some of it is kind of comical in a sense where it, um, you know, Jesus just sort of appears and it's like, well, where'd he come from? And then sometimes he disappears and you're like, well, where'd he go? Uh, it's, it's just, it's different. And, and I don't think Jesus is just playing with the disciples. I think in some ways he's trying to make a point. And as Luke, who is not one of these disciples who firsthand encountered any of these things that he is writing about in Luke 24, I think he's getting all this information and, I'm sure he himself is sort of amused to a certain extent to say, wow, you know, Jesus did these things and he did them in this way. And the way that Luke tells the story is just amazing. Luke is a doctor, he's a historian, and he's just a good storyteller. And so I want you, as we read this, to just enjoy the story, but then we'll come back to it and kind of go through a few things and see why it's so important, many of the details that he gives uh, are in there and what we can learn from them. So Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. And so when it says that very day, which begins in verse 13, that means the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So this is that Easter Sunday, the original one, not last week. Uh, so verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village, a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Right? So, I mean, like whoever Luke is getting this information from, clearly he's getting this from these guys or from people who have heard these guys tell this story over and over again. I mean, just the details here. They stood still looking sad. And one of them, verse 18, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? Right? I mean, like, <laughs> I would say, like, that's so Jesus, but it's not necessarily. It's just like so Hey, well, tell me more, you know, like really trying to coax it out. What things? What if, what's happened? I mean, like, can you just imagine Jesus standing there like, no, tell me, tell me. I, I don't know. <laughs> I've not at all been present for these things. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, 
Some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. How did he get there? I don't know. It doesn't say. He was just standing there and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Then he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. It's a great story. It's a true story. And it's a story, like I said, that has many different facets to it that I think are important for us to think about. If you noticed... Even in our text again, we talked about marveling last week, and that word is in our text again here in Luke 24 in the second half, where they were marveling. They disbelieved for joy and were marveling. So much of this should leave us, as readers even now, a couple thousand years later, marveling at just how clear of a picture we get that Luke gives to us of how legitimate and real the resurrection of Jesus is, and how important it is to understand that this was not some event that just happened in its own moment. This was an event that was planned. This was an event that was prophesied. This was an event 
that we are able to look back on and see from Scripture itself, from Jesus' own words during his ministry, that these things were supposed to happen. We All along, this was what was going to happen. This was the plan. This wasn't the backup plan. This wasn't just something that, you know, circumstances all of a sudden, you know, the confluence of all of these different happenings came together and just so happened, it turned out this way. So this is how it was meant to be. And so I think that last week, as we were left sort of with Peter in a state of marveling, in a state of wonder and amazement, that we should still be in a state of wonder and amazement, of marveling. And like we said last week, marveling to the point of belief. So going back through this, some things to kind of think about. So these two disciples that we start out in our story in verse 13, they're walking several miles away from Jerusalem, seven miles, it says, and they're just walking about, and all of a sudden Jesus comes up and is like, hey guys, what are y'all talking about? And they're like, uh... How do you not know? Like, if, you're, if you've been around, like, this is all the buzz in the city. Like, everyone's talking about this, right? So three years ago, when COVID hit, right, everyone was talking about it. Like, it's all over the news. It's all over, hey, well, what do you think about this? Oh, you know, is it only in China? Well, is it here? Or, oh, well, you know, maybe it's in Seattle now, and maybe it's coming here. And maybe I know someone who just visited China a couple months ago. Maybe they brought it back. I don't know. It's one of these stories that, Everyone starts talking about. Everyone knows about it who's in that area. But apparently this guy, Jesus, you know, who they don't know is Jesus, is oblivious. So they're recounting it. And what Jesus does is he says, he, he, he basically corrects them. And he says, look, you thought that Jesus was supposed to be the one who was going to redeem Israel. That's what they said. In verse 19, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. That was what we were expecting. That was what we were wanting. That's what we thought the conclusion to this story was going to be. And we were sorely disappointed because someone who's dead can't do what we need done. Someone who's dead can't save us from the tyrannical oppression that we find ourselves under the Romans in. And Jesus says, well, I mean, you're kind of kind of missing the point. And, and I don't think you really understand all those Sunday school lessons that you had over the years. I'm not sure you really paid attention to those important moments in the Old Testament as you went to the synagogue as we little kids and had the little rabbi people come and talk to you and be like, hey, here's this story with these felt figures on this felt board, you know, and was like, ah, here's Jonah and here's the whale. And he swallowed him and he was in the belly of the fish for three days. It's like, hey, didn't Jesus say something about that? He was going to be dead for three days and then rise, kind of like Jonah was? Or don't you remember how 
Moses talked about in Deuteronomy 18 that God was going to raise a prophet like Moses and that you need to listen to him. Like, don't you remember Jesus several times, as Luke records it for us, saying that, hey, you know, the Son of Man, me, Jesus, is going to be turned over to the authorities in Jerusalem and he's going to be crucified and he's going to die and then he's going to be raised from the dead. Did you not listen to anything that your rabbis told you? Did you not listen to anything that I told you? And maybe sometimes the rabbis had a skewed version like was put onto these disciples where they thought the importance of the Messiah was all about Israel. was all about saving Israel physically. And I think that's where some of Jesus' words, when he finally comes through and says, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. All that the Old Testament has said to you, all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? We read it last week in Isaiah 53 explicitly. The suffering servant. This was the Messiah that they were supposed to expect. This man who was of little to no account, who the rulers didn't recognize, who... As we started Isaiah 53, verse 1, who has believed what he's heard from us? No one's going to get this. And that prophecy was true. People aren't going to get this. But that doesn't mean that we are excused from our unbelief, that we're excused from not understanding. It means that we need the Spirit of God to open up our eyes to see and our ears to hear the truth of what has been clearly put in front of us the entire time. How many times, even as a kid, maybe you've been a believer for a couple decades or a few decades, but even as a kid, how many times did you hear the gospel fully explained to you before it was that you submitted yourself to the truth of it? Before you said, yes, I believe that, and I willingly submit myself to the truth that God is sovereign, that he is the creator, and that I have failed him through my sin, through my rebellion, but that he shows me grace and mercy and forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ, and that through believing that he died for me and paid the penalty for my sin, that all the brokenness that I feel, that all the brokenness I've experienced, that all the brokenness in this world now is different. It's not the same. That I've been forgiven and I can live in a new way. That I can come back and learn and live in God's design for my life. And that that way is better than the ways of this world. How many times did we hear that and we said, not today? Or we said, I don't really know if that's for me. Or we said, oh, that's a good story. And left it at that. And our eyes weren't open to see. Our ears weren't ready to hear. Our hearts were hardened to allow the penetration of the truth of the gospel to really soak in, to give us new life, to give us a new heart, a soft heart. This story, we look at how these disciples reacted to the situation before Jesus explains anything to them. And it's easy to say, these guys are foolish. How did these guys not understand? 
But I think even in our own lives, maybe we need to go back and say, wow, I didn't believe the first time for many of us. And some of us, maybe that was the case. And then so maybe it becomes, well, I haven't been perfect since I believed. And so though I believed when I first heard, I haven't lived that out perfectly. Though I know that God's design for my life is better than my own or better than what this world can offer, I still choose to go off of what I think is right. I still choose to live in my own way. And so we have failed. We've been foolish. We failed to realize the totality of how the gospel is meant to influence every single aspect of our lives. And we don't give grace to people who aren't perfect. And we think, oh, well, you're foolish for not believing. You're foolish for not understanding. And we think that maybe we've earned some sort of favor from God, that we deserve to have God opened up our eyes to see, our ears to hear. And these these two disciples, yeah, you know, they, they didn't really get it. But what Jesus does is says, let me explain these things to you. Let me slowly, as we walk these several miles, let me open up the scriptures to you. And he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. One of the things that we should do is marvel at the the depth and the usefulness of the word of God in its totality for us still. We should marvel at the fact that this word in all its New Testament and Old Testament glory has been preserved for us so that we can know the truth, that we can see that these prophecies really did come to pass. We should marvel at it. We should say, wow, He's not just in the New Testament. He's in the Old Testament. That God's word is important. Right? And they drew near to the village to which they were going, verse 28. He acted as if he were going further. Right? Again, Jesus just kind of playing this coy. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. So maybe they recognized this from... The Last Supper, maybe they recognize this from the feeding of 4,000, 5,000, where in those stories, Jesus prays over the bread. But whatever it is in that moment, their eyes were opened, right? So did they open their own eyes? Did they think hard enough? Did they ponder on it? Did they marvel enough? To bring them to belief? No. I mean, that whole, that grammatical structure there, as it is so many times in Scripture and so many times here in this chapter, their eyes were opened. It's not what they did. It's what God has done in their hearts. It's what God has done to open their eyes to see the truth. And so I think we need to marvel at the fact that we are not in control. That we do need to be a people who pray for God to open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and we need to be a people who pray that God opens up someone else's eyes to see and someone else's ears to hear. As much as we want to be in control, as much as we want to be able to make someone believe, make someone understand, 
that there's only so much we can do and that we're dependent on the Spirit of God to do a work that only he can do. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And as soon as they recognize him, he vanishes from their sight. Why? I don't know. He just does, just to prove a point, I guess. You know, like, hey, that's Jesus. And he disappears and like, yeah, that probably had to be Jesus because no one else can just do that, right? All right, so, you know, I mean, it was like a double, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, a double sign maybe that they were like, oh, wow, that's something Jesus did. And that's something that only Jesus could do too. So with those two things together, certainly, certainly. And, and I, I really want us to concentrate on, on verse 32 because I think this is something that we really ought to do all the time and to think about. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? What we ought to be really focused on is allowing the scriptures to speak into our hearts to such an extent that it, it, it causes this swelling up, this burning inside of us to where we have no other course of action but to praise God and to proclaim his truth to anybody and everybody who listen. Did not our hearts burn within us? I, like that ought to be such a prayer of ours constantly. If we truly believe that what we read from Isaiah 40, that the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever, that this word is true and that this word is meaningful, that this word will never fail, that this word will stick around for all of eternity because it is truth, because we can believe what it says, even about Luke chapter 24 specifically, and that it all makes sense when you put it together. I mean, it should make sense individually in each part, but it should make that much more sense when you add the Old Testament to the New Testament. When you realize that the New Testament is really just a fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so how can we truly understand the New Testament fully if we don't go back and see how God has planned these things and prophesied these things and told his people what to expect and to, th- and to praise God for how he has orchestrated history to work according to his design? Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? We need to really be a people who marvel, I mean, really marvel at the word of God and marvel to the extent that it causes our hearts to burn. Like as this last week, um, this is not heartburn, but I guess I got bit on my legs. I don't know. I, I left the car door open outside our house and maybe there were mosquitoes that like decided to infiltrate inside the car and I was wearing shorts so my lower legs were exposed to the elements and I got all these bug bites. I'm assuming they're mosquitoes. I don't know. Whatever it is, I was trying to sleep that night and all I could feel was that itching sensation. Any of y'all ever get mosquito bites and it's just like the worst 
right? Some of you can understand, some of you not so much. But it's, I mean, maybe it's some other thing in the physical world that bothers you that like you just can't get your mind off of. I mean, I woke up and I usually don't have a hard time sleeping, but I woke up and my legs were just throbbing. They were so itchy. Like there was nothing else I could think about. There was no way I could go back to sleep until I scratched them to death so that it would subside slightly or just take a whole bottle of Benadryl so I could just knock myself out and not have to worry about it anymore, right? And so what I did was I took some Benadryl and it made it, I guess, good enough to where I could go back to sleep. But like that idea of something that is bothering you so much or something that has got your attention to such a capacity that it's all you can think about. As much as I want to listen to this guy blab on and on up there i've got this thing i've got this leg itch that i just need to keep like it's all i can think about i've got this fly distracting me i've got this pressing matter that is happening tomorrow at work that i can't get off my mind i've got this relationship that is frustrating me that i can't stop thinking about i don't whatever it is for you in the moments when your attention is grabbed and it's all you have to think about. That's what we ought to be yearning for when it comes to how God deals with us, our understanding of the scriptures and our love for the scriptures. I mean, these men said, did not our hearts burn within us? I mean, when we hear the word of God preached, when we read the word of God ourselves, When we come across the truth of God's word, when we come across the gospel well explained, when we think about what it is that God has done for us in Christ, our hearts ought to burn. And if they're not burning, as much as these mosquito bites itch on my leg all day, every day, still now, today, five days later, What what do we really believe? How do we really need to ask the Lord to to soften our hard hearts? I mean, we really have to be a people. If we truly believe what it is that God has given to us in his word, we have got to be a people who are so consumed with understanding his word and allowing it to fill our hearts with the characteristics of the spirit, with the love and grace and mercy that he has shown to us that we read about here. And that from that, we overflow in our actions and our words and our thoughts to be a people who are gracious and merciful and loving. We ought to be so consumed with that that Man, that's what gets us up in the morning. That's what quickens our step during the day. And that's what we can go to rest acknowledging at night. I don't have to worry about what's going to happen. I can be at peace. And I know these scriptures are real and true and that for me they've changed my life and I see the evidences of God's grace and mercy toward me and toward those around me. And so what they do is they go back and they tell their friends. And they're like, hey, man, y'all won't believe this. And they're like, wait, let us say something first. Jesus appeared 
to Simon. And they're like, wow, that's awesome. I guess he appeared to us too and we didn't even know it. And they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And then as they're all talking about this together, Jesus himself just randomly appears and he's like, hey guys, how's it going? And they're like, we were just talking about you. Where'd you come from? And said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. They're like, is this real? Is this not? Do we need to be concerned? I mean, just as the women last week at the beginning of Luke 24, when people see angels, when people see God in his glory, they are afraid. They have to look away. They have to bow their faces to the ground and say, wow, this is not good. Usually when God sends an angel, like people die. Whole cities are destroyed. The firstborn no longer is living. Whenever God sends an angel, like this is a serious matter. So God begins in even Luke's telling of this whole gospel story. In Luke chapter 1, he sends angels to declare the coming of Christ. He sends angels to declare the raising of Christ. Like the beginning and the end of Jesus's ministry on earth, his existence on earth, physically, angels came and declared those things. And then you see that, I mean, when people see God and recognize, wow, we weren't expecting that. It startles them and frightens them. They thought they saw a spirit, right? Because no one sees a physical body raised from the dead. That's just not how it goes. And they thought, hey, how did you magically appear in this room when all the doors were closed and the windows were closed and now you're standing in front of us? Like, did you see when he got here? I didn't see when he got here. Like, how did he get in here without us noticing? I thought for sure a spirit can walk through walls, go through walls or drift through walls, right? Spirits don't probably walk. They just drift, right? Because they don't need their legs to walk on anything, I guess. I don't know. I've never seen a spirit, so I don't really know how it works. But the movies tell me that they just kind of hover and stuff. Yeah, so it's got to be true. I saw it in a movie. Right, and he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, So we should marvel at the fact that, I mean, Jesus let people touch him and that they could touch him because his body was physically raised. We should marvel at the fact that Jesus was physically raised from the dead, that his body was not in the tomb and his body was hovering around physically like in matter that you could touch, somehow still able to walk or drift through walls and appear and disappear at whatever given time and whatever way that he wanted to. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. It's like, this is too good to be true. They disbelieved for joy. I think that's probably what that means. It's too good to be true. I think I mentioned that last week. Marveling, you're thinking, this couldn't get any better. But if they couldn't get any better, then maybe it's not real. And I don't know, what, what's interesting to me is I think, you know, some commentators talk about the fact that when 
Simon, when it said that Simon saw Jesus, and that's what was reported back to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, that at that point, surely the disciples believed. But it doesn't really say that in Luke's text. And so I don't know if at at this point or some previous point or some later point is the exact point when these disciples truly believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, that truly believe that he was the one to redeem Israel, just maybe not redeem in the way that they had thought previously. I don't know when they actually believed. And maybe when it says they still disbelieved for joy, they thought, wow, maybe it is still too good to be true. Maybe this isn't really happening. Because this would be really cool if it was. And so I don't want to get my hopes up just to have them crushed again. Right? That's, I think, what that idea conveys. They were marveling. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? Let me just prove more that what you're saying is, in fact, reality. And he gave them a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And so what is, what is all this supposed to get for us? Well, what is all this supposed to mean for them in that moment and for us? The, the fantastic story that this is, what am I supposed to do with it? And he said to them, verse 44, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Right? This isn't new information, but I'm going to point it back out to you. And the spirit is going to remind you, like I said, as John records it for us, he's going to bring to mind all these things again. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that means the entire Old Testament. Because the law of Moses is the first five books. The prophets are basically all the other books besides the Psalms and then the Psalms. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Again, we've already touched on that. We need to pray for that, for God to open up our minds to understand the scriptures. And said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, look, I'm not telling you to be a witness in your own power, but I'm giving you the power to proclaim when I send the promise of my Father upon you. That's, he's talking about the Spirit. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So what's the point? The point is we are given this information not just to use for ourselves. We are given this understanding of the scriptures, both old and new, not just so that it can end and terminate in our brains, in our minds, in our hearts, but so that as our hearts have been changed and as our hearts burn with the word of God and the spirit of God convicting us and empowering us, that we then from that, ought to be a people who have been called explicitly by Jesus to proclaim to all nations repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. This is Luke's version, as it were, of the Great Commission. 
What's the point of realizing all this scripture? What's the point of understanding all these Old Testament prophecies? It's not just so that we can say, oh, look, I've learned all of these things about ancient Israel. Oh, look, I was able to do all these archaeological digs and say that Jesus was a real person who existed 2,000 years ago. No, the point is for our hearts to understand and believe the gospel and from that, Proclaim the truth that he has offered salvation, forgiveness of sins through repentance to all nations. Not just to those in Jerusalem. It starts in Jerusalem, but it doesn't end there. It ends in all nations. And that what's required from us is to submit ourselves to the truth of all this. That's really what repentance is, that God and what he says in his word really is true. That I am a sinner and that he is not. That he is perfect and that I have failed. But that he hasn't left me as a failure. He hasn't left me in my own 0% batting average. He has raised my dead life my sinful life from the grave and given me a new life in Christ and that I need that. That there's no other way to get that new life. There's no other way to possess eternal life but through Jesus Christ. Through turning away from all of what I had known and thought in the past And recognizing that God in his providence, in his foresight, in his love and mercy toward his creation, that he has offered me forgiveness through Christ. And that I need to walk towards him instead of continuing to walk towards the things of this world. And that if I need that, then certainly... I can see the sin in other people. And I know that they need that. If I've been able to recognize my own sin and come to grips with it, I've certainly recognized the sin in other people. Whether I've shown them grace or not, I don't know. But I need to be so filled with grace that I extend the truth of God's grace to them in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so what are we called to do, not just to marvel and internalize all these things, we're called to marvel and believe and call others to believe. So as we looked at last week, we want to be a people who marvel, like at least twice here, but really all throughout chapter 24, the women who go to the tomb, Peter who goes to the tomb. These two disciples who are walking on the road, the other disciples, the 11 and the countless other disciples that are with them in this room in Jerusalem that see Jesus marvel. We also need to come to that point of belief. And if we truly believe these things to be, in fact, reality, that then we proclaim this truth. 
to those outside of our little circle, to those outside of our little gathering of disciples. This is what Christ has called us to do, to marvel and to believe and to proclaim. And I, and I hope that it is the work of the Spirit of God to empower us, to clothe us with power from on high. I hope that it is the Word of God that we have marveled at and studied and understood because of the work of the Spirit and the work of God's people teaching us. And I pray that it is the constant beat, the burning of our hearts to be this people. That's, I think, what he says here, really in all of Luke chapter 24. And it's something that ought to occupy, that can and should occupy our entire life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just the depth that it searches into our souls, piercing between bone and marrow to the just the deepest and darkest truths of our sinful souls. But that just as deep as our depravity, we see that we would see that your grace is even deeper still, that it reaches down as far as possible and, and tells us that we are forgiven in Christ, that we don't have to live that way anymore, that we don't have to follow our old patterns, but that you have given us new life and a new way of living, and you have given us a new calling to live out this gospel and to proclaim this gospel. But we recognize, even with the disciples here and the story, that we can't do this on our own. We need your Spirit to empower us. We can't do this without an understanding and knowledge of your Word, the Bible. And so we do pray that you would illumine us, illumine our hearts, our minds to understand that you would give us understanding, give us insight, give us knowledge, and that we would proclaim that which we understand to those who don't, to those who have yet to understand, to those who don't believe. Lord, use our desire to know you, to know your word, to see your spirit work. Use that, we pray. Would you find in us willing vessels for your, for your spirit and your word to work through, that our lives would continue to be changed and that other lives around us would be changed as well, that people would come to faith and be baptized, that we would be a people who make disciples who make disciples. Well, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.